in the past several messages that the Lord's laid on my heart and I've tried to share with you have been taken from the book of Joshua. We talked uh, a while back from the book of Joshua concerning Israel's coming out of the wilderness, crossing the Jordan in a very miraculous way. In fact, all of the dealings of God with Israel seems to have a miraculous tone to them, which I think reminds us altogether of this one fact, that God alone is responsible for the accomplishment of the great things in our life. We oftentimes want to pride ourselves into thinking that we are the responsible one. But yet God alone can accomplish that that seems to be uh, uh, impossible. And he proves that over and over again to Israel as he records the events that occurred here and recorded in the book of Joshua. I talked to you then about crossing your Jordan. And then another message followed, and I dealt with the story of Rahab the harlot. And I simply had you to think about she's not the girl she used to be. And how the Lord indeed changed her life. Canaan, if you remember, if you have heard any of these messages, I've tried to impress upon you that Canaan is not a type nor a picture of a heaven for us. We often sing about, I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. And immediately our thoughts go to heaven. But Canaan is not a good picture of heaven at all. You'll find in the land of Canaan uh, that there were conflicts. There was war. There was death. There was deceit. There was destruction. Thus, the type of Canaan as heaven seems to crumble. It is not a picture of heaven. However, it is, I believe, a picture of the victorious Christian life. It is a picture of the Spirit-filled life. It is a picture of those who would experience what Jesus said when he declared, He has come not only to bring life, but to bring life more abundant. That speaks of a life of victory. And many of God's children who, as in a sense, they have crossed from the wilderness, they're over in Canaan land, the land that God promised them, a land of victory, and yet they are confronted time and time again with unsurmountable problems difficulties and troubles in life. Now, you're going to encounter that as you grow in your life as a Christian. Simply becoming a born-again child of God does not mean that all of your troubles are over. In reality, your troubles have just begun. You know, a fish can float down the river as he floats along uh, with the flow and the direction of the river. But the trouble comes when that fish turns around and uh, with great energy of life, he begins to swim uh, up the stream. 
he then begins to experience conflict, friction, trouble. So as a child of God, what are we to do when we who are walking with God, wanting to be everything that God wants us to be and has promised that we should be? What are we to do when these problems just loom up in front of us and we really don't know how to handle them? I'm going to call your attention to an old passage that I've dealt with before in the book of Joshua, but it bears repeating. Joshua chapter 6. It is the recorded event of Israel's victory over the first city that they encountered in the land of Canaan. It is the city of Jericho. Jericho is known as the city of palm trees. It was a city of great treasure. And yet God has promised all of this land of Canaan to the children of Israel. But when they come into this land, the first thing that they are confronted with is a walled city that is defying them and denying them further inheritance of what God has promised them. Now, when you were saved, God promised you a life of victory. And you thought, man, alive, I'll just go along, breeze along in my Christian life. I'll never face any problems, any difficulties. In other words, you expected that Christian living would be a gravy train. And that gravy that had no lumps in it. You had thought you somehow were, were thinking that this Christian life is a life of roses. But yet roses have thorns, and we just don't expect that. You're saved and you're thrilled over the fact that your sins have been forgiven, and you think, listen, I'll never face any more difficulties in my life. Then comes the shocking truth of reality, that you face problems and troubles, and they are denying you know. It is a certain thing that problems are certain. The Lord Jesus tells us that in this life you shall have tribulation. The word meaning testing or as well trouble. You're going to have it. You're strangers in this land. And you're going to have trouble as a born again child of God. Again, Job told us in the 14th chapter of Job in verse 1 that man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. So I don't have to dwell on the certainty of trouble. If you've lived long enough, you are very much aware that even since you were born again, since you were saved, there have been a multiplicity of problems and troubles that have come up. So problems are a certain thing. Not only do you need to recognize the certainty of problems, but think about the source of our problem. Number one, we would immediately say Satan is the source of our problem. The devil creates all of this confusion and problem in order to defeat us. The devil indeed does and is capable of and very often does create problems in your Christian life. But I think we give the devil more credit than he is due. 
we often say, like Skip, uh, what that black comedian of many years ago, uh, I've forgotten his name now, it was Skip Wilson or somebody, he'd say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. We want to blame so much of the wrongdoings and the defeats in our life on the devil. Well, he is a source of our problems and troubles. But say, strangely enough, when I tell you, the truth is that sometimes our problems, the source of them is the Savior. That is, the Lord himself. He permits troubles to come in order to test us. You see, nothing is worthwhile until it's really been tested. Now, you can hear the commercials on television and radio, and they advertise a certain product that it'll do this and do that. And yet, listen, if that product hasn't been tested and proven, it's not worth very much. In fact, I heard one the other day advertising how to grow hair on, on bald head. Well, I, I ordered some of that. But I'll tell you, it doesn't work. I mean, it just don't work. If I, well, i tell you, I think I told you about a remedy, didn't I, uh, that a fellow had discovered on uh, a cure for baldness. Uh, John, you'll like this. I liked it. Carl, you'll like this. And... Uh, uh, Rosa like this. I just look around here. A lot of shiny fellas in the audience. But fellas, if you'll get some, uh, just a, a little water, put some alum in it, squeeze about six green persimmons in that, and uh, pour some pickle juice in there, and then get that that you mixed up. Rub it on your head. Now, it won't grow hair, but it'll shrink what head you've got up to fit what hair you've got. That's about the only cure I can give you. But nonetheless, uh, you hear all these things, but uh, they must be tested. I wouldn't want to fly in an airplane unless it's been tested. I wouldn't want to drive an automobile unless it's been tested. And so uh, the Lord's going to going to make possible some tests to come in your life and in mine. And many a person, the truth about their character is revealed when they are under the pressure of problems and troubles. Anybody can look like a Christian when everything's going good. I mean, no problems, all bills paid, nobody's sick, nobody's mad at you. And uh, listen, anybody can look like a Christian then, but the Lord puts you to the test. He lets sickness come. He permits the fact of, 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 of a breaking of some friendship. Uh, there's been a, a misunderstanding. And yet God tests us through these and numerous other sources. But say there's yet another source of our troubles, and... Uh, you'll find that the society in which you live as a born-again Christian is a source of trouble for you. The society in which you and I live is a godless society. It is anti-God. It is anti-Christ. It is anti-Bible. You've even heard in the news this last week of uh, uh, certain schools that wouldn't even let children recite the pledge to the flag because it had the name of God in it. 
I heard a woman on TV just night before last, maybe last night. She's an atheist. And she just was so offended at people singing, God bless America. And I thought to my soul, I wonder who she'd have bless America. She doesn't believe in God. Who would she have to bless America? Osama bin Laden, he'll bless America. But the whole truth is, yet uh, people just, I mean, they, the society as a whole, they, they, they despise the Bible. Uh, men live by the philosophies of the world, not the principles of the Word of God. Uh, if you really want to be looked at in a strange way, carry your Bible to work. Lay a Bible on your desk. Say a word or two about the Lord Jesus. I'll guarantee you'll find out that the society that we're in uh, creates problems for the saint of God. Not only that, but another source of problem, I tell you this, going to hurt, self. We're a source of the majority of our problem. The way we act, the way we react, our often uh, uh, ordinary disposition, our hostile personality, we create more of the problems, and yet though we create them, we'll blame them on the devil, you know. Or we'll blame them on the circumstance when in reality the source of most of your problems and mine, you'll find that source when you look in the mirror. Self. Let me give you one other source. And that's sin. Sin in my life. Sin in your life. Disobedience to God. And it creates problems. It brings even the breaking and the dissolving of marriages. It breaks up homes. It destroys friendships. It brings great uh, tragedy in our lives. Sin. And they used to sing an old, I don't know, it's been many years ago since I heard this, an old hillbilly song. And they had sing, sin is to blame. Sin is to blame for it all. Ah, the drunk who runs into a family uh, on the highway kills those in that family sins to blame if you want to know why men are behind bars and living in prisons i'll tell you the very core is sin sin is the source and it creates personal problems it'll pr create personality problems sin will create emotional problems Psychologists of our modern day tell us this, that the source of most emotional problems is anger. Anger that is embedded down deep inside. And I think you know that. You watch people, you listen to them, and you'll find that that anger is just boiling inside. And they may not even know the real anger that they have. Sam Jones said it, and I'll repeat it. Sam said, most people are not angry at what they're angry at. The anger lies deeper. Sin down in the inside. And so Israel faces a problem just like you and I will face a problem. But let me not only mention the, the certainty and the source of our problem, but let me just give you this thought, and that is 
the speech of our problem. What are problems really say to you in your Christian life? The problem in your home, the problem in your marriage, the problem at the jo- on the job, the problem in your health, the problem in your thought patterns. Ah, you know what problems really say? They say this is as far as you're going. Now you'll come thus far into this land of promise, but no farther. Here's your Jericho, and you're not going to pass this city, nor are you going to inherit it, nor conquer it. That's what problems say. Now Israel had a problem in Joshua chapter 6. The city of Jericho was tightly shut up. The gates were sealed. Soldiers were on top walking around guarding the city of Jericho for they had heard of the coming of these people of Israel. And so Jericho is a great problem to them. I don't know what problem it is you may face, but I can tell you whatever the problem is, whether you realize it or not, it's more than one problem. You see, Jericho, they tell us, was a, a, a city surrounded by a system of two massive stone walls. Not just one, but two. The outer wall of the city of Jericho was six feet thick, archaeologists tell us, and 20 feet high. That's the outer wall. But the inner wall is the stronger of the two. The inner wall was 12 feet thick. The outer wall, six. The inner wall, 12 feet thick. Whereas the outer wall was only 20 feet tall or high. The inner wall was 30 feet high. And there was a walk between those walls where the soldiers could walk and guard the city of some 15 feet wide. Now, I always in my life, I looked at Jericho as a single problem. But as I discovered, Jericho had two walls. It reminded me of the two walls that you and I face on our journey to victory. The outer wall to me represents those outward things of the old nature, the flesh. And it's that outer wall that you and I are most concerned about. Drunkenness, lying, stealing, immorality, all of these things. We look at those habits of life and we, after we're saved, we've come into this Christian life and we are concerned about those outer things. And we ought to be. Uh, but yet we focus on those as being the real hindrance to our growth as a Christian. So we work on these outer expressions of the flesh, the works of the flesh that Paul talks about in Galatians, adultery, fornication, idolatry, all of these things outside. But you see, there is a stronger wall on the inside that has to be broken. And that wall so little, we pay so little attention to. We think, 
if we knock the drinking out, knock the cussing out, knock the immorality out, then I'm, I'm in good shape. Oh, no, that inner wall, representing the sins of the inner person, pride, jealousy, anger, wrath, malice, envy, all of these inner things. You see, we go to church and the preacher preaches about people getting drunk, and he ought to. Preach about them going to the dance, and he ought to. Preach about them uh, going to Hollywood movies, and he ought to. He preached to them about gambling, uh, and most of the folks say, well, I don't do any of that, so I'm okay. There's that inner wall of pride. There's that inner wall of dishonesty. And this inner wall, unless it is broken, and it is the stronger of the two, oh, we are defeated, and we fail to come into our inheritance. Inwardly, disobedience. It may be disobedience and rebellion against the parent. A rebellion against authority. That's that inner man that must be conquered. And Paul talked about, I die daily. When he uses the word I, he's talking about his eagle himself. How we need to have that wall crushed. And so Israel comes to face the city of Jericho. They're unable to overcome it by themselves. But God is their partner. So Israel had a problem. Israel has a promise. The Lord said, I have, see, I've given into thine hand, Jer Joshua 6, verse 2, I've given into thine hand, Jericho, the king, the men of valor. It's yours. I've given it to you. Israel has a problem, but they have a promise. They have a partner, by the way. That captain of the a Lord's host that you read about in the last few verses of chapter 5. You see, he, Joshua heard him say, I'm captain of the Lord's host. Captain of the Lord's host. I'm with you. So uh, here is Israel with that, with that partnership. But Israel... With, a with some prerequisites. And the Lord's saying, hey, if you really want victory over the habits in life, the attitudes on the inside, here's the way to get them. Let me show them to you one by one. In verse number 3 of chapter five, 6, the book of Joshua, the Lord said, compass the city, all you men of war. Compass the city. First thing God wants you to be able to discern is the real problem in your life and to face it and to acknowledge it. The men who are armed, these great big old war, warring Israelites, and now they are to march around the city once every day for six days. God wanted them to really see the problem. You know, you can't deal with a problem till you know what the problem is. Now, I don't know what your problem may be. We're all different. It may be jealousy. It may be pride. It may be dishonesty with others as well as with yourself. It may be an envious spirit that's down inside. It may be an angry and bitter, resentful, unforgiving spirit. 
Now, my friend, listen to me. Listen to me. I plead with you. However and whatever the problem is on the inside that's robbing you of victory and joy and usefulness, listen, identify it. Get on your knees when you go home today and say, oh, God, what is my problem? Now, don't come up with this junk saying, well, I don't have any. You do, do. That's one of your problems right there. You don't even admit you've got any. Those stories, all of us are faced with difficulties that are denying us further progress in our Christian life. And so the Lord's saying, first of all, surround that city. Identify your problem. Don't run off. Close your eyes and say, hey, no problem at all. I've talked, to, for example, to, young, to married folk. And they're always wanting to blame the other for the trouble in the home. You know, this is the thing that's wrong with our marriage. It's her. She'll say it's him. In other words, neither are willing to recognize that I'm the biggest problem. I am a problem and something has to be done about this emotion on the inside. You see, it's not just the action that you do. It's the attitude. It's the reaction. I had a dear man who several years ago had a misunderstanding with me. And that's been five, six years ago. He was a member of this church. And he came and left because of that. And he came by this week and he said, Preacher, I've just got to get something right. He said, for these years, I have been so miserable. My attitude has not been right. And I just want to get it right and squared up with God. And brother, we had a, we had a camp meeting. It was wonderful. And yet what I'm trying to tell you is this. That attitude in the heart, how you feel toward other people, how you look at other people. Do you look down on them? Do you look... How do you look at them? Do you scorn them because they don't think the same way you do it? They don't act the same way you do it? And you have a spirit of scorn, resentment. You may not go to shindigs. You may not do all these things. But what about the inside? What about the inside? I preached a message a long time ago in this church. There may be a few who do remember it. My wife don't remember half what I preached, and I don't remember the other half. But anyway, I preached on the transfiguration of our Lord. Matthew chapter 17. You remember this? When Jesus went upon the mount, and there came a radiance, and uh, the, there was a glow of, of God about him, and, and uh, uh, the inner man that Jesus was, God, clothed in the flesh, that inner greatness and holiness and purity of God began to just come forth from within. There was a brightness about him, brighter than the glow of the midday sun. And yet you know what that was? What Peter and the others saw was a trans.
forming, on, coming from the inside, seen on the outside of what he was. And here's the message I preach. What if you and what if I were transfigured? What if really what you are on the inside came out? You know, we kind of put the brakes on sometimes. But what, if, what would the world see if in that act of transfiguration like ours, what you are on the inside was just brought outside? Now what God wants to do is conquer that inner wall, folks. Not only the sins of the flesh, but the sins of the Spirit to conquer those that you may have victory and treasure in our blessed Lord. Well, he said, go around and look at, look at the problem. Identify it. Number two, he said, back, uh, number, the second thing he said to do was take up the Ark of the Covenant. That's in verse number six. That is, you take up the very presence of God, the Word of God, the covenant the Lord's given you. The third thing was that the priests were, were to uh, uh, blow the trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Now here's a key. If you want to have victory over your problem, don't let the problem conquer you, but become a praising Christian. That's what the ram's horn was all about. Why, it was a horn that was sounded at the time of the harvest when the crops were gathered in and the abundance was there and they would blow that ram's horn as if to say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And yet the reason many of us are defeated, we're so negative in life. We're always looking at the bad things. We're never giving thanks to God. The Bible said giving thanks always for all things what the scripture teaches. And if you want to be a defeated, miserable Christian, go through life complaining, growling, feeling sorry for yourself. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me attitude. I'll just go out and eat worms. That's what I'll do. Big, long, juicy worms. Little, short worms. I just feel so sorry for myself. You'll never be a victorious Christian like the Lord wants you to praise Him. Well, listen, I mean, you can thank God for, for, for a jillion things. You ought to get up in the morning. I know your bones ache just like mine, but get up and thank God you're able to feel those joints are hurting. There's a lot of folks out there that don't feel anything. The truth is, you ought to thank God. Uh, somebody said, oh, I was so miserable about growing older. Not me, buddy. There's only one alternative to that. I'm thankful I'm older. Thankful I, and, and praying, Lord, help me to get older. But the truth is, uh, those attitudes defeat us. Now, thanks be unto God, Paul said, which always causes us to triumph. Did you hear that? 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. Next time things go wrong, just briar back and praise God. Now you talk about giving the devil a nervous breakdown, that'll do it. When the dishes are broken or when the, your new dress gets gravy on it and your new suit gets a tear in it, instead of griping and growling, just say, praise God. I had a dress. 
I knew dress, and I had gravy. Some of them don't even have gravy. And Lord, I thank you for that nail that I slid across and ripped that good new suit. Some folks didn't even have a new suit to get torn. There's so many, listen, that gives the devil a fit, and it'll give you victory according to the scripture. Just praise God, giving him thanks. How long's it been, I want to ask you this, that you just out of your inner soul just praised God? Now, a Baptist would shout in our church. That'd be worth about $10 a shout. But all I'm saying is, uh, it scare most folks to death when it ought to be a common thing. What's wrong with folks saying hallelujah? What's wrong if from the heart we say praise God? Nothing wrong with that. Just unnerves a lot of religion, that's all. Gives the devil kind of a breakdown. But listen, when the soul, when you say, I just believe in doing that when you feel like it. That's not what the Bible said. The Bible didn't say, when you feel like it, praise God. No, he didn't say that. He said, giving thanks always for all things. Now, I'm not talking about jumping up and swinging by your tail from a chandelier. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about honest to goodness praise that you give to the Lord. Now, it wouldn't bother me if somebody in this church, God spoke to your heart and blessed you in such a way, you couldn't keep quiet. You just jumped up and said, hallelujah, praise God. Listen, I'd stop preaching. That's about the only way some of y'all are going to get me to stop this morning. Don't everybody jump up and say praise God at one time. But what I want you to remember, folks, is this. And I've learned this in my life. It's true, it works. The life of the Christian that praises God will get him over many a rough spot in life. Give him thanks always for all things. And then the next thing the Lord had him do was just to be quiet. You shall not shout nor make any noise with your mouth. The Lord said, just mark around that, said, do what I'm telling you to do and keep your mouth shut. You don't need to explain to everybody in the country why you're doing what you're doing if God's leading you. You don't have to sit and say, well, you don't know. No, they won't understand anymore than that bunch in Jericho understood why those Israelites just marching around were silent, keeping their mouths shut. All you can hear is that old ram's horn blowing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But all listen, a secret is when you've done what God told you to do, keep your mouth shut. And then not only that, but they went back into the camp and rested in the camp. Twice it's mentioned in chapter 6. Twice. What the Lord wants you to do is after you've done the will of God, you can receive his promise. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, Cast not away therefore your confidence, for it hath great recompense of reward. For after that you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise, but you're not going to receive the promise as long as you're rebelling against the will of God. God will give victory. And as you come to that final moment of obedience and the Lord says shout for the Lord has given you the city they shouted before the wall ever fell Did you get that wall is still standing 
And they just said, well, the Lord said, do it. So that's what we're going to do. And they shouted, and the wall fell. Now, it wasn't their shouting that knocked the wall down. God did that. But God was able to move in miraculous supernatural power because God's people believed him and did what he said. Therein lies the key. You have trouble in the home? Praise God a while. Instead of griping, growling, complaining, whining, feeling sorry for yourself, praise God. Just have a praise meeting over your house. Just thank God when things go wrong out on the job. Just thank God. Oh, you'll, you'll, not, you'll never know nor realize what a change it'll make in you to just give praise to the Lord God. He's worthy, is he not? He alone deserves it, does he not? And we ought to give him that praise. Let's stand together with heads bowed and we pray together.